0: Yeah, right. Right. I'm gonna shoot for less ums and sort. Yeah.
1: Oh, let's just do that in general, guys. Let's really try and cut down our thinking words. Yeah. Are like the kind of words that you use to kind of gather your situation uh, okay. to kind of gather, kind of. <laughs> oh yeah. Little the easy the likes to and the ums. <laughs> Hello.
2: Welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, August 30th, 2018. Otherwise known as a pretty bad holiday, it was Frankenstein Day, and I'm not gonna roll with that. And I figure since it's the end of the mm-hmm. month, let's go with the National Month thing. August yeah. is National Picnic Month.
1: <laughs> I think it's not much better than National Frankenstein Day. I don't hey, know how much we improved. It's a it's a lateral move
2: at worst. Exactly. Got, Tell no, me the some, last time you I went got on some a thoughts picnic. On picnics. Better on paper than in practice. Sounds good. Oh, that's Do like a, what? Better on paper than in practice. So it sounds better than it is.
1: You know, it sounds like, oh, exactly. that'd be that's like a I'm nice... Saying. When's the last time you actually went on a picnic?
2: Only if I'm dragged to one would I go on a picnic.
1: Exactly. See, that's funny. I would
0: really like to see you make a modern pisc- uh, picnic <laughs> basket, Chris. Like a wood <laughs> My- one that kind of folds out. Um, We can eat it on, pretty
2: cool. on Mike's table. Well, mm-hmm. maybe it
0: could fold into a table.
2: Ooh, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a a little basket that
0: just gets into a huge table i'm on it well it's funny one of my the first camping memories i had was these Craftsman or coleman coleman i think was the brand these coleman folding camp tables mm-hmm. and yes. they folded out of like a briefcase and they was sort of like metal and particle board i think um it was some or some sort of like really heavily varnished particle board and they were actually pretty pretty cool they folded out and uh Uh, Or a table for four people and could still fold into something that was probably about 40 or 50 pounds. There you go. That reminds me of
1: uh, my old beer pong table. It did the same thing. It folded into quarters and then was the size of a large briefcase.
0: Mm, But was it regulation?
1: It was. That's why it had to fold (laughs) into four pieces because it was 12 feet, 15 feet long. Something absurd.
2: Mike's a stickler for the rules.
1: It was the PBPA. Professional Beer Pong Association.
2: Very nice. Now, I will say, last thought on picnics. You know what I really hate about picnics is every time I go on one, I always like to have watermelon and a bunch of ants always carry it off. So I'm done. Done with picnics. (laughs) All right. right.
1: So what have you been working on, Ben? Last time I threw it to Chris. We're starting off with you this time. Put me last.
0: More welding. Yeah. So I've been thinking in my head about how I learn and how I get better at something. And I still keep going back and forth between the sort of Tim Ferriss model, which is that you can kind of hack learning and strategize your way to learning faster versus the Malcolm Gladwell model, which is more that you need 10,000 hours in order to get good at something.
2: So what would be the hacking your way to welding proficiency?
0: 5,000 hours
2: <laughs> yeah, instead of Yeah, just cut it in half.
0: <laughs> Done. Yeah. I think it would be that you're more distilling critical concepts and figuring out and analyzing the ideas behind the technique so that you can learn it faster and not just have to brute force it through repetition. Mm -hmm. The way people describe welding is different. Some people will say it's about pulling a puddle. Other people will use words like you got to get that wire to really punch through the steel. Different people have explained it to me in different ways. And when you're looking at what you're seeing through the welding helmet, all of a sudden what you're seeing in real time matches up with what you heard and it starts to make sense. So certain analogies for me worked way better. The pulling the puddle worked better and sort of explaining to me personally what I was seeing and then made me realize what the actual strategy was. So that realization and that particular way of describing the process was effective for helping me sort of cut down on the amount of hours that I needed.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's so true. Whenever you're welding, pulling, what is that called? Is it pulling a puddle? P U L L I N G? Yeah. Or right. It was, it was the last time I was welding, it really made itself evident was that idea because as you're welding, I had always been on in, on the boat where I was moving too quickly and I wasn't getting thick enough beads and they were inconsistent and when I ground them down, um, okay. I would have to come back and fill where I didn't get good penetration and I had little voids in in my welds. And it wasn't until I turned my wire feed up a little bit more than the machine recommended, I actually built up a really solid puddle and I was able just to watch the puddle. I wasn't even watching where my contact point was touching the metal. I was literally using that to pull my bead across the weld and that's what was making a good clean bead. Rather than watching the weld itself, it's the pool behind it and making sure that it's continuing to flow and it always has enough of a reservoir that it doesn't kind of putter out and just get, you know, half welded basically.
2: It's funny because pooling and pulling it is hard to tell which one you're mm-hmm. saying and they would mean like the exact opposite things like making a puddle a or dragging a puddle.
0: My advice to somebody getting started with welding on how to learn faster would be talk to some people that have different experiences doing different types of welding and ask them to describe not how to weld, but what good welding looks like and what it feels like. And I find that those descriptions for me have been more effective because then I'm matching those those words that I heard them say to me to what I'm seeing through my little viewfinder uh, in the helmet. Rather than trying to consciously think, okay, what am I doing with this hand and this hand and the trigger mm. and the settings and all those sort of, which are all objective sort of things. yeah, Making it much more about what you're feeling and experiencing and then matching that to an idea that somebody else gave you and get, get multiple descriptions of it because you never know which analogy is going to resonate exactly with the way you're seeing things.
1: And it's cool the way you brought that up is whenever you're distilling multiple input sources is you're kind of looking for that common thread. If three people describe it in three different ways, what are the ways that they all three described it the same? Because that's probably the big takeaway that you're wanting to use moving forward.
2: So it's almost like having like a little micro goal that you're trying to achieve where you're not necessarily thinking of each individual input, but you're just trying to achieve that micro goal that's going to lead into the macro. Big time. Big time.
1: But shipping container progress is coming along smoothly, correct, Ben? Like things are really moving along quick now.
0: Yeah, it's in crunch time. Uh, There's a lot of pressure from Home Depot to hurry up and finish uh, because the project's gone on way too long. But uh, we're we're making progress every day and the progress is very visible. All the doors and windows are now installed. We installed those massive, you know, 11 foot wide Geldwin folding glass doors, which are are pretty incredible looking. Like they open it all the way up and you can see through the entire space. Nice. Almost done with all the welding. I still got a little bit more trim work to do. It's interesting. The way architecture works with doors and windows is when you order a window, they'll, be, they'll tell you the unit size and the rough opening size. And the rough opening size is normally about half an inch all the way around for doors. And for windows, it might be more like a quarter of an inch. So what they're conceding right away is that you won't make the hole the right size. Or
1: perfectly square or something like that, right?
0: Right. So the assumption with construction is that everything is going to be off. It's just to what degree Mm -hmm. is it going to be off and then what kind of trim do you use to cover the, the offness. But most of these things were designed for wood buildings with plywood sheathing and then either fiber cement, wood, or vinyl siding and wood or composite trim to cover up those rough openings, that that sort of half-inch to quarter-inch gap that's around all the doors and windows. With the sort of steel exoskeleton and the wood interior skeleton, it's not too difficult to make the windows fit into the wood, but now it's sort of trimming steel to wood once the windows are installed. That's not too much of a problem. You can cut metal pretty precisely, the challenge will be in welding those last few pieces of steel trim without scorching the the very expensive doors and uh, windows, not to mention uh, catching the wood framing on fire.
1: Oh, yeah, that's always, that's always a good consideration. Oh, and speaking of that half-inch clearance or that quarter-inch clearance you were talking about earlier, I think I've mentioned it before, my, but my grandpa was a contractor and kind of built homes and stuff like that. He always called it the fudge factor. Yeah. You ever hear the fudge factor?
0: Yeah, he didn't make that up.
1: No, I know he didn't make it up, but I just (laughs) didn't know if that was something that made it, you know, outside of Oklahoma or if that was a common phrase.
0: No, I've definitely heard of the the fudge factor.
1: In the same context or no? (laughs) (laughs) It's a club that I go to. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Now it's it's more of
0: the spray foam factor, right? There we go. There we go. That's the other thing too is that you can always kind of especially from the backside of these things, fill them with spray foam to, to re- reduce all the sort of air gaps. Um, but figuring out sort of elegant trim strategies. It's also why minimalistic buildings are the most difficult to make because when you don't, when you don't rely on a lot of trim, then you're reducing the ability to sort of aesthetically band aid over all those, you know, Fudge factor kind of situations.
1: You have a little less fudge factor in that sense. Right. It's like
0: wearing all white in a fudge factory. You know, there's not a lot of room (laughs) for error.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know why I keep just like, never mind. You know what? I probably shouldn't say it. There's a sponsor on this episode. Chris, what are you working on this week?
2: Okay. So I'm actually not really working on anything new. So I'm not going to talk about what I'm working on. And instead, I'm going to read a message. You didn't
1: talk about what you were working on last week. Because I'm taking a break,
2: man. I'm done. I'm
1: allergic Jeez, to work. All right.
2: No. We'll see. No, uh there we go. You know, normally we don't like to read like the sort of flattery messages that we get, but this one was so nice that I, I figured I would take my time to read it. So comes in mm. from a viewer named NewViewer at gmail.com. I don't know if we're supposed to give wow. out emails, but I have a feeling it's not <laughs> a real email. Uh subject line, love you guys. And now I'll read the message. Except for Chris. He seems way too full of himself, and I can't stand watching or listening to him anymore. That now he's talking to just me directly. (laughs) Chris, your sh** stinks just like the rest of us. Take a note from Ben and Mike and be down to earth, dude, and not an uptight designer. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So be a down to earth dude and not an uptight designer. We all design. We all sh**. And you don't sh** golden eggs. Although your photo makes it look like you're trying really hard to do just that. What a sweet message.
1: Wow, that was do you so do you think that was a real I don't know man email I mean, sent or do you think that was someone trolling you? Do you think someone's just trying to get I a rise that, out of
2: you? I think it's a friend. I think it's a friend who's trying to get a rise out of you. I don't know, man. I always it always cracks me up when I get these messages. And like, you know, I would literally you know, if you're a listener who thinks that I'm pretentious and full of myself, like I would legit like to have you on and tell me why you think that. Because I, I am very <laughs> curious to know why people think that like I always feel like there's three kinds of sort of hate messages that I get. So the one is that they think that I'm gay and they have something against gay people seems to be the one type. Mm. The other would be. Yeah, I think there's like something lost in the translation where they think where they think that I'm being serious at times where I'm goofing around, essentially. And then the third would be the type that thinks I'm pretentious or they think that I think I'm the greatest. Which is weird because like mm-hmm. I don't feel like I come off that way in my videos, but to some people, I clearly do. If anything, I feel like I come off as vulnerable in my videos, or like you know I I'll, I'm comfortable expressing the doubts that I have in myself in the videos. I I always think that that's something sort of not that I'm the only person doing that, but it's like something sort of unique that I do. Um, but I don't yeah. know, man. Now there's there's so many. Well, oh, go ahead.
1: Well that makes me think back to our 100th episode which was live. I can't remember exactly the question. It was something along the lines of what have you guys gained from doing a podcast and working with each other and you know just being friends in general over the past however long um that you might not have expected and that was my response was like being around you, being around Ben, people that are like that say this is what I designed rather than just saying this is what I built or this is what I came up with mm-hmm. or being confident in your ideas or not being afraid of just sharing your ideas and just good or bad, like owning your ideas and like repping them and not being afraid to say like, this was my idea. Mm -hmm. And if people have to say about it, great, I'll handle that. Or if people have something good to say, great, that means I'm getting credit for it. Right. And for anybody that's out there, it just sounds like someone's insecure about what they're building. And so they're like, oh, dude, you think you're the bee's knees. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry about it. No, I mean, I I mean... Every, he's right everybody designs things yep. but a lot of people don't give themselves credit for it they're just they just write themselves off as like yeah this is what i built or this is what i came up with or you know they don't really like take ownership for their ideas and the ideas are the valuable thing anybody can follow steps it takes creative people to build things or to come up with ideas
2: i don't really take it on the chest too much like i, I it really doesn't bother me the only thing is i'm i really am genuinely curious to be to talk to somebody that thought that I was pretentious or whatever and just hear why. It would just be interesting All right, to
1: hear. so all you listeners out there that hate Chris, yeah. shoot me a DM on
0: Instagram. <laughs> We're going to do an episode It's going to be called Chris versus The People. <laughs> I think yeah. I know why. Defending my life. Let's I think hear. I know why. I think your, your, your videos come across like sort of a documentary film. Mm-hmm. Like they remind me, when I first saw your videos, they kind of remind me of like a, I think I, what I thought in my head was like, these are really cool. It's kind of like a little hipster, Ken Burns, documenting his build project and what he's thinking about. Like there's sort of a mix of your whimsical musings about something and then a little bit of instruction and then mm-hmm. all blended together within that kind of documentary kind of feel. I, when I think of people that make documentary films, I tend to think of oh, they think this is so important, kind of yeah. artsy person, right? So I don't think it was directly you. I think that was it was associating the type of output that you had with their experience, with the type of people that typically create that in other genres.
1: Got it.
2: I, I got a theory. I like it. Here's my new theory. So just for the record, I do not think I'm great. I think that I'm a good <laughs> designer and a very average builder. That's that's what I really think of myself. But I think that those people watch my videos and they think, holy crap, this guy's great. And he knows he's great, therefore I hate him.
1: That's my new theory. There you go. Now you now you're you, definitely not giving yourself enough credit. You, you, know you, uncre- you know what
0: it is though? I think it's more that you for someone that makes things, you don't come across very blue collar.
1: Ooh, there you go. Right? With a and I think spoon there there's
0: mouth. and I think that doesn't there there's sometimes when people look for the, these things, they're looking not just at what you're doing, but they're looking for sort of the identity politics or connections of it all well actually that makes sense
2: because if you think about it, okay so say that you were say that you had that mentality of like okay i'm a blue collar guy and the thing that i have above these other like nerdy guys or whatever is i can build stuff and then they see this guy who isn't that but is building good stuff it could kind of hit them on a personal level
0: right so they might look at you and see, "Oh, this guy looks like a graphic designer that likes to play video games and eat Pop-Tarts." All true. Yes. Uh, all true. <laughs> and guilty. Right? So they they are acknowledging the differences, but they're seeing work that they sort of connect to and that sort of disconnect between what they sort of perceive of of who and who you are and where you fit relative to them. Also, I f- I find that when people have these sort of critiques or assumptions about you, it's mostly because they're assuming that you are the type of person that wouldn't like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whenever I've, I've gotten sort of mess, you know, or, or met people in person, they're like, wow, you're a friendly or nicer. Or I didn't think that I was going to like you in person, but you know, I do. Uh, they never tell me if they don't. Um, <laughs> it's all been because they've assumed that I wouldn't like them. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. More than it was doing that. So, if you look different than uh, than the people they normally associate with or the people they normally associate the activities that they're there to watch with, there could be that could be sort of a perceived barrier on their side, even though you haven't done anything to actually suggest that. It's it's all within their head.
2: That makes sense. So then um. for the record, new viewer at gmail.com. I love you, buddy.
0: I mean think about how <laughs> many times people do that with like with, like, a, a movie poster or a a type of food or something like that, We're, we all are continually trying things, that, especially if you're an adventurous person, that surprise you with how much you like them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, asparagus. All... <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And not just on the way out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you like but... it?
2: Oh, man, I have a new segment idea. I was thinking about oh, this. Perfect. I was actually listening to an old one, and I noticed that Ben loves to make. F- everything is a food analogy so we should do uh-huh. we should do a segment called think of a steak and then he has to, we have a topic <laughs> and he has to come up with we have to come up with food analogy we have to make a steak analogy for anything that's brought up to us well Perfect. let me
0: tell you why i do that cuz i think it's the only universal no matter what country i've been to it's the it's the only common cultural ground i mean yeah. we all eat Eat, you know, food and family are, are the broadest common denominators yeah. that we, we all have to some, to some degree. If you, can re, if you can make somebody understand it in terms of food, you have a pretty good shot. Everybody watches different movies, has read different books, had, listens to different music. But food, especially if it's like the major foods, we've all, <laughs> we've all grubbed down.
2: Yeah, for sure. Perfect. So if you got your topic ideas, just go ahead and submit them to Think of a Steak. At Modern Maker Podcast. (laughs) At (laughs) (laughs) gmail.com. We are not
1: sending it. All
2: right. What have you been working on, Mike?
1: This week, I sent you guys pictures. The video will be out Thursday, Mm -hmm. or maybe even before that. It will be up by the time this podcast airs, and it is a metal and wood pour-over coffee station. Super clean, super easy to make. If you have never done metalworking before, this is going to be the video that I recommend you watch and try out. Not too long ago, when Ben launched his plate steel projects, they went pretty well. They were interesting ideas. I enjoyed watching them, and they kind of resonated. And I've been thinking of projects kind of subconsciously using plate steel a lot lately. Mm -hmm. It's just in the back of my mind, for some reason, it it just tends to be at the forefront of ideas. There's also a big
0: pile of it in the back of our house. (laughs) Right, and it doesn't hurt that that there's just
1: plate steel laying everywhere, (laughs) which is perfect for small projects. Uh, So I had a video sponsored by which are not sponsoring this podcast, so I was not obligated to say their name. I'll bleep that out. There we go. But but they're a coffee company, a subscription box company. It's really nice. Essentially, you just take a quick quiz. They recommend coffee to you, and then they send it to you. Okay, Chris, (laughs) easy, man. I'm going to have to pay you out of pocket so I can do that little read, huh?
2: Yeah, we're taking a cut of that.
1: Exactly. They're really great, super cool company, and so I've been wanting to do a pour-over coffee station for a while just because it's a neat idea. It makes cool content. And so when the sponsor lined up, it was just perfect situation.
0: So, And, and pour over coffee is one, of, in my mind, probably the most consistent, best tasting, easy way to make coffee. And I find that it's a lot easier to clean up after pour over than it is a French press. Wait,
1: were you paid because by them too, Because everything's in a coffee filter. So you're able to just pick it up and toss it away, correct? Yeah. So basically this project is made out of three sixteenth inch plate steel, maybe eighth inch plate steel. And it uses an angle grinder. That is it for the metal working, And then a circular saw and a couple like little jigsaws and stuff like that for the woodworking. So super minimal when it comes to tools, a great introduction to metalworking. And from there, uh, I've got a couple more plate steel projects coming up, including the desk that I'll be building for Gary V's office, which I've got to get done this week. But aside from that, nothing too crazy. Just been, you know, on the grind, Building, filming, doing the th- doing the damn thing. Was that a
2: coffee pun on the grind?
1: Yeah, it was. I'm glad Absolutely. you picked up on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> was it really or no? Keeping it subtle. Keeping just letting those puns drip in, if you will. All right.
1: Wow. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. The the one downside to uh, all of this is they sent me a lot of coffee, which is awesome. But I forgot to tell them that we wanted them we wanted to be pre-ground because they can send you whole beans or you know Uh-oh. already ground coffee. So I had to go and buy a grinder. Jeez.
2: Man, just lost it. So I really ate that cost. That was <laughs> a tough one. <laughs> all right, well, now that Mike and Ben are uh, done talking about non-sponsors, let's take a quick break to talk about a real one. Let's take a break to talk about our friends at Away, makers of first-class luggage at a coach price. Now, in a second, I'm going to tell you about Away, but if you remember just one thing, it's this. Their luggage is legit awesome looking. And if you listen to our podcast, you're obviously interested in design and aesthetics. So seriously, go check them out. Like, I didn't even know that I thought luggage could be beautiful, and now I do. But that's not all, because there's more to a way than just their looks. First, they use high-quality material, yet have a lower price compared to other brands. And that's because they cut out the middleman by selling direct to you. They offer four different sizes and a bunch of awesome colors. And they pack in all sorts of key design features that'll benefit you. Things like a patent-pending compression system that's great for overpackers, helping you to cram in that last pair of underwear, or a clamp, or whatever you guys are traveling with. Also, and this is one of my favorite things, both sizes of their carry-ons are able to charge your cell phone or tablet or actually anything that's powered by a USB cord, not once, not twice, but five times. So if you're traveling with your iPhone, you can charge it five full times from the luggage. How awesome is that? Best of all, they come with a lifetime warranty, so if anything ever breaks, ever, they'll fix it or replace it for life. And they also have a 100-day free trial. So try it out, and if you don't like it for whatever reason, return it and get a full refund. No questions asked. So right now, you can save $20 off a suitcase by visiting awaytravel.com maker and using the promo code maker at checkout. Again, that's awaytravel.com maker and promo code maker at checkout, all lowercase. So check them out and get away. By the way, that's not their slogan. I just made it up. It's pretty good though, right? Get away. Get it? All right, thanks. let's get back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Modern Maker Podcast. Hope you you enjoyed that ad read. We (laughs) sure did. Chris, we've got a great topic for today's episode, something you were wanting to uh, bring up. So why don't you do that now?
2: Yeah, kind of just something I was thinking about last week. I started talking about the whole garage reorganization thing that I want to do. And so I've been thinking about that a lot this past week and have done some pivots from my initial ideas. More, Most of my initial ideas were actually before I talked about it on the podcast. So I was already starting to pivot at that point. But it got me thinking about how you guys pivot from an initial idea. So I don't know if you're like me, but I tend to have a new idea. I'll have something that'll get me super excited and I'll like really focus in on that thing. But oftentimes I do end up pivoting away from it as I research it more and find out like, oh, there's actually better ideas than that thing that got me Initially excited So just kind of wanted to Talk about that See where you guys land If If there is a normal for you Or if it's all just Take it as it comes
1: So I tend to keep it Pretty fluid For example The coffee station Mm -hmm. Whenever I kind of Had the inception of that idea I wanted to use the plate steel Just for the clean lines of it And then I wanted to paint Everything white Mm -hmm. I thought it would be Super sleek Super minimal Real clean Fresh and modern That paired with the oak That I was using Would just be nice but along the way, I thought, hey, I should take pictures of this with it raw steel prior to painting it. Right. That way I can show a couple options. You know, it's just cool for the video. But once I put everything together, set the station up, you know, put the pot, the coffee pot in there, put the pour over a little thing. And once I had it all staged and ready, I just decided not to paint it. It looked really cool on its own. And even though the initial inception was like, let's make this super clean white coffee station, I ended up doing a more industrial raw steel and wood one. And I think that's totally cool. You the know, more you can just go with what looks good in the moment or ideas that come fresh to you, pivot like a basketball player, man. Pivot. You know? Don't travel.
2: You know, it's funny. When I when you first
1: sent me those pictures, I don't know if it's because of the treatment and
2: the name of the bag, but it has like a very sci-fi feeling to it.
1: It does, right?
2: It, yeah, I don't know if it's like the metal, and then so I'll just say it, it's called Dune, which is like a famous mm-hmm. sci-fi thing, and then I don't know, it just has like a real alternate future look to it. Or maybe our right. future. Right, it's I don't interesting know our future, because so it could be our future.
1: Exactly, it was just interesting because at the time I had bought the coffee pot, which is just this flat white and wood carafe, the pour over. What do you call that? The thing that holds your coffee filter—the actual pour-over kind of funnel. What do you call that?
0: Let's call it the funnel.
1: Great. See, I would <laughs> not glad I described it with enough. its name. The funnel is white. The carafe is white. Everything is kind of just is modern the, the and dripper? white. And at the time, I thought keeping it steel would not look good. But in hindsight, having those white accessories to go along with it mm-hmm. made what would be a little bit more industrial than I would typically like fit right into the pocket of clean and organic mm-hmm. so what about you guys how often are you guys switching up on ideas or how precious is the original one
0: it depends on the scale of the project and mm, also okay. the the and it's also a different project to project so right now my main focus is on the tiny house and there's probably i don't know 30 or 40 little pivots and design changes as i figured it out along the along the way but that being said i knew that this project was going to be very different than the way I've designed buildings as, uh, you know, with my architecture firm. When you're designing as an architect, you're trying to sort of lock everything in and set everything into stone because the drawings you produce are the legal contract by which the contractor submits their bids for how much the building's going to, to cost the the way that the city or the municipality that's approving the design knows that the building is good enough and and deserves to, and is safe enough to be built and the way that the client sort of knows what they're what they're getting before they spend in in the case of with our architecture for millions of dollars to build this house so it's everything about that design process was about trying to anticipate have really good judgment see around corners figure out what's going to go wrong, solve problems before they come up on construction so that construction just follows along and the builder contacts you as, as few times as possible. So you're, you're always trying to kind of avoid things that are unknown. And with this project, it was, I knew there was a bunch of unknowns about how I was going to detail the container. And partly is I could have, if I had someone else you know, completely do all the construction, I could have just worked on the design, got it to the point where I thought it was good enough, and then just sent that to the builder and said, build it this way and figure it out, but make it look like this. Mm-hmm. Now, that can be really wasteful because the builder might have, you know, your initial ideas might not all be correct. The corrugation of the steel might be a little bit different than what you anticipated. The the, the individual parts of the container might be different in the one that you actually got then versus the one you based the design off of. Different challenges may come up with the site that, that changed that. So with this one, it was a very loose design to start with. And I just tried to design it in a way that I had a lot of expansion joints, a lot of ways where I can maneuver things should should the situation call me to, to have to adjust on the fly. One of the biggest examples is how this design pivoted and changed was with the way I framed out the openings for the windows.
1: Mm, yeah, and this was a solid pivot. It came out really nice.
0: When I talked to other people that had done shipping container projects, they would all said that they framed out the window holes with tube steel. And so they go, oh, you know, it's the corrugation is about inch and a half to two inches deep. So we just use two inch tube. We welded a square frame, cut the whole, you know, held that up and scribed it and then cut a hole to match and then welded that back in. Now, I found sort of a few complications to the, to the actual logistics of physically doing that. It sounded really simple, but if you used three and a half by two inch tube that I used, uh, the radius on the edges of that is about half an inch. And I guess tube steel varies from manufacturer to manufacturer, but this one had a really big radius. So that made scribing the frame, you know, tracing the outline around it uh, very difficult because you, you have this curved thing. Also, there's no if the, if the frame is really big and in this case probably about 120 to 140 pounds of steel maneuvering that into place with no positive stops and then you have to hold a level and then you have to have two guys on this side and two guys on this side makes the whole thing challenging and you have to have a lot of people on site. So with the 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 last two frames that I did, I did them out of really big angled steel, and that way the you know when I cut you know you get a you get sort of a fin that allows you to scribe a line very accurately and then the flap you actually put these frames from the inside out so that the back flap of the angle steel catches onto the inside corrugation and that gives you a nice positive stop uh that that allows it you know easy to sort of maneuver it into place so that was like a big pivot and then i had to figure out how to make then aesthetically the the tube steel frames match those things. So then I was welding mm-hmm. fins onto them, so the the door openings are t- detailed totally different on one container than they are on the other. And you know, if I was doing this as an architect for a client, I would never ever do that. Mm-hmm. I would figure it all out. You know, I would cr- just sit there and keep 3D modeling and keep sketching and spend hours of just design work to make sure that I had a my best guess and then do that. What's really nice about this sort of design build process is that I can test out both ideas. And if I do this project in the, f- in the future, I actually have a really good reason why to recommend one way versus the other. Right. So it's kind of like showing your work when you're doing a complicated math problem versus trying to do it all in your head. You can do it all in your head, but writing it down and sort of working out your numbers you know, at least you can also see where your errors are and trying to build things multiple ways. You actually get to experience the logistical challenges of, of implementing them. So like one of the things that, that came up would be, you know, the, the different ways of framing out the windows work different. They work to different degrees of success depending on how they line up with the corrugation. So if your window is like 48 inches wide versus like, you know, 52, that means one side might be on an in-corrugation and one side might be on an out-corrugation. And those yeah. are things that you don't always think about when you're designing on paper or in a 3D model. You don't always think about the, the hyper-specificity of it. So in this kind of project, there's a tons of pivots, but I sort of planned that into, into the case. The exact opposite kind of project would be the spiral staircase that I did. Because with the spiral staircase you have to start at a starting point where the step is at this angle and it has to meet around a you know a rotational access and a elevation change to the same place because if you're off that stairway goes nowhere and there's no way to sort of fix it <laughs> yeah. and if you glued and screwed you know you know 300 pounds of plywood that you did not have to break the saws all out to to, to demo it and, and cut it all out you're going to feel like a failure yeah. so I think it's more anticipating when when you need to be rigid and putting an extra design time into those cases when you have a real tight window that you have to hit, versus knowing when can you actually allow yourself to figure things out in the field, is sort of sets you up so that your your pivots are so it, it lets you make a quicker decision on pivoting in the field because you know that the consequences are 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 manageable.
1: Hmm. Totally, and that makes me think, Chris. Yeah. So how often do you actually? pivot in that sense because you're somebody that like what ben was talking about you're a planner like to the t yeah so is it very often that you're outside of maybe making a slightly off cut or gluing the wrong piece to the wrong piece taking those out of the equation how often is it that you're in the middle of a project and then all of a sudden like a light bulb moment happens and you decide to pivot then
2: yes that's what i was gonna say i I think i'm sort of a pre-pivoter or maybe like an opportunistic pivoter so Uh hearing ben talk I kind of feel like I might treat myself as my own client, the way that I'm designing things. So I tend to really try to make sure that I'll I'll definitely pivot while I'm drawing and like, you know, this idea is not working, so I'll change. But by the time I'm actually building, I'm 95% of the time locked in and there are no changes other than like you were saying, just like, oh, I got to alter this dimension because of this cut or whatever, you know, those little things. I don't think I talked about this, but so I'm building right now a really tall cabinet, like a closed door cabinet to match the redemption console that I built a couple months ago. And the reason I'm doing that is I gave it to my parents and then I decided to build a bunch of other furniture to match this wall and they wanted it to match stylistically. So I designed it all. I had it all matching. I had come up with like this handle design and everything. And then when I was at the lumber yard, and I was buying the wood for the doors, which are going to be made out of solid hardwood walnut. I saw this one piece that had a, I didn't even know if you would call it a knot at this point, because it's like a full on hole. That's like the size of your hand in it. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and I was looking at it I was like, oh man, that would make an awesome handle to like not have any handles on it. And so just seeing oh. that piece, I was like, I'm going to use that as the handle. So I kind of changed my game plan while I was at the lumber yard and,
1: so that's pretty late that's a late stage in the game compared to when you're normally oh, yeah. changing ideas. Yeah, I think
2: that's like the latest I've ever had like a design pivot sort of moment. Yeah. Um and I've got the doors built. I need I need to put them on this week. I'm just waiting for a couple things so that I can do it and it's looking like it's going to work out good, but I don't want to jinx it. Well, you know, I'll find out the moment of truth pretty soon. Uh but yeah, that that was an example of like a very late pivot pivot for me. And so more so what I do is I would say there's, instead of pivots, there's almost like branches while I'm designing. So another good example would be while I was building this, I built the base and I didn't have it glued up yet. And I was just kind of like playing with the pieces that were sub assemblies. And I put them together in this weird way where I was just like kind of making a design out of it. And it had this like really thick, chunky, almost sort of uh, uh, like brutalist kind of des- or style to it which is a design style that I'm not typically that into, but seeing it in real life, you know, sometimes there's a difference between seeing things in pictures and then seeing it up close in real life. It kind of started triggering some ideas. So like that night I went and drew out this whole other idea that I have that I'm yet to see if I'm gonna build it or not, but it kind of put me on a path that I could see maybe trying it out and if that goes well, spawning some other ideas. So it's sort of like a branch that it turned into rather than just a pivot where, You're just abandoning one design and going off in a different way. It's like, this will be an idea to kind of bankroll for later. And actually saying that, I think the main thing that I'm missing, because when I think about you guys, I think you guys are much more fluid builders than I am, where you have an idea, but you go in there and you'll kind of roll with the punches more than I do. And it's something that I would like to change, but I think that the reason that I don't is actually because of working full time. I have to be more structured with the time that I have to build. I feel like that's the one, yeah. the one area that I will get to, will, will elicit the most change in me as a designer. Cause I'm a designer, mm. new viewer at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that it'll give me a lot of like play, being able to play with designs while I'm out there and building and just spending more time, not having to Make sure that I'm progressing and progressing and progressing, but just being like, oh, let's play with this and see what happens. I think that'll be a different way of thinking that'll spawn different ideas. So that's one of the things that I look forward to most about when I eventually go full time with this, in addition to just not having to go to work from nine to five every day.
0: I look forward to that for you as well. Ben, food analogy, go.
2: Yeah.
1: Think of it
0: as a steak. No, I think it's more like whether or not someone can cook with leftovers versus from the recipe, right? Mm. Like some people can open up the fridge and be like, oh, okay, we'll just make make something with this. And other people, like they have to go to the store every time because they need to buy all the things on the recipe. Mm -hmm. And I think the big difference is people that are thinking prescriptively versus people that are thinking conceptually. If you're thinking conceptually, you can think of creating a – a menu item on the fly through concepts, sort of saying like, hmm, I know I don't have enough for this recipe for this particular type of stir fry, but I know the concepts of the stir fry are this kind of sweet kind of citrus uh, flavors, this spiciness, a protein, and then something to give it a little bit of crunch, right? So that ability to sort of analyze it in terms of concepts allows you to substitute ingredients because you know that you're you're bringing in ingredients, other ingredients that weren't in the recipe that have the same characteristics so that conceptually they'll work together. So Mm. I think that's the, 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 the big takeaway is if you can understand what you like about your idea as concepts, you can interchange pieces that may not go the way you were expecting them to do. And you don't have to follow that prescription. You know what I there did the go. other
2: day? We were uh, making some French toast. We had some cousins in from out of town, so we we're doing a big breakfast. And somebody brought some donuts, and I said, "You know what we should do is we should French toast one of these donuts." So I just oh, got it. Of sure. course, I just got a simple glazed, <laughs> dipped it in the egg French, and it was the crazy part was a few people told me like, "Oh, that's going to be gross." I was like, "How is this possibly going to be gross? Like, it's not going to alter the the ingredients." It was delicious.
0: Just sweet, Yeah, it was just sweeter bread to start with, basically. Yeah. yeah, and you know
2: what else? Because of the glaze and then getting in that hot oil, it kind of like caramelized some of the glaze, so it had a nice crunch on it. It was like a outer casing of creme brulee on a French toast donut. It was good. It's a menu item.
1: Yeah, it's making a breakfast pastry out of a breakfast pastry. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: It's double good. Double good. Awesome. All right, it's about that time, fellas. What are we obsessed with this week? What have we been watching? What have we been listening to? What has made an impact in our life this week? Mm.
2: Mike, you go first. You are just a oh, bright right. sunspot to me right now, by the way, because you're so backlit.
1: Yeah, I'm just a silhouette. <laughs> I'm I look switching like an away angel. from you to bed. <laughs> you All right, like I don't an blame angel. you. I don't blame you. So this week, it is two obsessions of the past merging into one.: Oh boy. long time ago, way, way, way back. We talked about Hot Ones, which is a show on oh, yeah. YouTube. It's the show with hot questions and even hotter wings, where they take celebrities and interview them while feeding them increasingly hot, spicy wings. Great show. Love it. The other obsession was Rhett and Link, when a year ago, they got a YouTube deal, a YouTube originals deal, not a YouTube premium deal, which meant it was still free content, but YouTube just dumped a lot of money into it, where they took what they do, which is just kind of sitting at a desk and talking to a camera and doing kind of quirky, funny things, and then adopted a Tonight Show late show format where they basically produced four videos every day. Each one was independent, but they had a through line, and you could watch them continuously, and it was like one kind of 22-minute show. Well, they're launching a new season, so they were on Hot Ones. Uh-huh. It was a very funny one. If you're a fan of Retin Link or if you're a fan of Hot Ones independently, you're going to enjoy this one, so watch it and... You know, I said what had a what had an impact on you this week and that's what I went with. So I'm really glad <laughs> I'm really glad I had a good build up for that.
2: Life altering.
1: Yeah, exactly. It changed my whole life. Although what I do think is a good takeaway from them and to others out there is mm-hmm. so they're apparently like lifelong friends that do media together. They they just play off of each other so incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Their comedic timing as soon as someone runs out of things to say the other one just instinctually knows that they need to come in fill in that void like put the emphasis in the right place on somebody's joke that kind of fell flat to round it out Mm -hmm. it's really interesting so you know for the three of us as a podcast maybe we should watch it and take notes
2: i'm gonna edit in like five seconds of silence right there
0: yeah perfect
1: (laughs) wow really looking out for each other i was just gonna leave you hanging on that one too (laughs) Little comedy Perfect. All right. Editing. So what about you guys? Who's uh, got something they've been watching?
2: I, I got something that's a listen one. And actually, you guys can choose whether to do this or not. But I think I just have a new segment idea for us. I'm going to call it Meet Your Maker. And so it's going to be something. The reason I'm saying this, let me preface this, is that this is something that I like. I genuinely like listening to it, but it's like a little embarrassing or, you know, I wouldn't roll my windows down if I was listening to it in the car that type of thing. And it's
1: Taylor Swift. No. Yeah.
2: No, it's this guy. His name's Takuyubuki. and he does I don't know Ooh. what you would describe as kind of like new age jazz kind of stuff, but it has okay. a, it has a uh, it has a nostalgic video game quality that I like about it. I think it's because he's done some music for like the menus of Gran Turismo. So it has a nostalgic feeling to me for that reason. But it is kind of embarrassing to listen to. So I'd be interested to know if you guys have anything that's like, I don't want to call it a guilty pleasure, but it's almost something that you are you genuinely like, but is kind of embarrassing that you like. And I will say right. real quick on top that's of Yubuki, cool. so if you listen to some of his past, he has a past album called Melody Cascade that's super good. He just had a new album come out that's all right, but go listen to Melody Cascade. That's a tough that's one when your album. new
1: album doesn't live up to the last one.
2: It's in the shadow. Oh,
1: and we might as well go ahead and say, the links and instagrams and everything of what we're talking about will be in the description of the podcast because i already know you're sitting there thinking Talk i don't you know rookie. the name he just said let alone how the heck i'm gonna ha- spell it so you're yeah. welcome
2: yeah all right so what do you guys have an embarrassing thing that you genuinely like Ooh. meet your uh, maker man i'd have to think about it all right let's do it. Do next you have week. One? Oh, unless ben okay
1: yeah one. yeah we'll do guilty pleasures next week instead of obsessions
2: okay we'll do a meet your maker segment
0: So for for mine, it is The Tim Ferriss Show, uh, episode number 322 with Mm. Adam Robinson. It's a very short podcast episode. I sent it to Mike earlier today.
1: And I listened to it. 15 seconds.
0: 35 minutes long. It's excellent bullet points. And if you're in a field that you find competitive or challenging, I think it has some really good takeaways about how to sort of differentiate, be yourself, and some great sort of rules to live and work by. So I, I listen to a lot of Tim Ferriss's podcasts, but I don't, wouldn't recommend them all. Uh, I feel like a lot of them are self-congratulatory kind of interviews that are sort of post-rationalizing success. There's, there's rare is the one that I find where somebody sort of distills it in a way that is actually useful for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, I still think it's a, it's a, you know, a fantastic podcast and, It's an excellent sort of interview show. Yeah. But so episode 322 with Adam Robinson, who I'd never heard of uh, before this.
1: Neither had I, but he's a smart guy and that will be linked in the podcast notes. Mm -hmm. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for coming back week after week and being a faithful, compassionate listener that you are. And to those who are listening for the first time. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you haven't already, we would love a five-star review on the iTunes app. What this does is just let the app know that we're a good show and that they should suggest it to other listeners. Speaking of all of this whole kind of wrap-up situation, we never talked about the Maker Brand launch, so we're going to say it now. Holy cow. Holy cow. Holy Holy cow. We were incredibly surprised with how well everything went. This stuff is flying off the shelves. If you haven't already, MakerBrandCo.com. Check out our offerings. No pressure. If you're interested in it, we think you'll love it. We've been getting great feedback from everybody that's gotten their products and have been trying them out. Keep sending us feedback. Keep posting us and tagging us and stuff. We love seeing all of that. So thank you, everybody that ordered and everyone that is going to. Aside from that, follow us on Instagram. We're at Modern Builds, at Benjamin Nueta, at Four Eyes Furniture. Collectively, we are at Modern Maker Podcast. Mm. Thanks for listening. And until next time, bye, everybody. Amen.
0: Bye.
1: (laughs) Cool. Perfect.